You're listening to Homestay, the podcast for and by Yaleys from all walks of life and all over the world. Join us every episode where we are invited into the virtual home of a Yale University alum to listen in on their stories from campus life until now. From undergraduate traditions to becoming the founder of one's own company. Ready or not, hang on tight because we're in for a wild ride. Hello there. Thank you for tuning in. We are so happy to have you here. Wherever you may find yourself listening in on the podcast, we just wanted to give you the deepest and warmest welcome to our first ever episode of Homestay. We are your hosts, Wen Long Yang. I am a junior in Brantford College studying psychology and economics. And I'm Julia Hunter Glefko, a sophomore in Brantford College as well, studying political science and sociology. And we are so excited to be hosting the first episode of Homestay. On today's podcast, we are very lucky to have Deborah DeVegin with us to speak a little bit about her story and have a conversation with us about her time at Yale and her path from campus to now. Deborah graduated from Yale with a Bachelor of Arts after pursuing a double major in economics and art history. She first worked at Boston Consulting Group and then received an MBA from Harvard and has worked in various fields all over the world, including international finance, venture capital, and management consulting. She's also an entrepreneur, having launched several biotech and other tech companies and has served on many nonprofit boards, using her incredible leadership skills to bring about change. Her most recent venture has been founding and serving as CEO and now chairing The Chisel, the first and only engagement platform created to help people and institutions with opposing views find common ground and reach agreement. The Chisel has been successfully used by the world's most prominent companies, universities, think tanks, and governments. Deborah, thank you for joining us today. I'm so glad to be here. Uh, one of the things that makes Yale so special is the connections and the conversations that we have with all sorts of different kinds of people all over the place. Julia and I were actually introduced to Deborah through our connections to an organization on campus we hold near and dear to our hearts called Students and Alumni of Yale, more commonly known as STAY. Well, that's a bit of a shameless plug right there. <laughs> a shameless plug indeed. And as leadership team members of STAY, we traditionally have hosted STAY alumni teas, essentially hour-long meet and greets connecting enrolled students to Yale alums. However, with the global pandemic and the need to transition all events into a virtual setting, we decided to create this podcast, hence the name Home Stay, acknowledging both the show's origins as well as emphasizing the importance of staying home. Home is a place for sharing stories. And in this podcast, we listen to the experiences of our alums. Let's start off with our childhood dreams. My dream job as a child, believe it or not, was actually an ice cream truck driver growing up. So I guess you can say that what I currently study is rather different from my dream job. But perhaps now, instead of playing the classic ice cream truck music and handing out ice cream to the little ones, I'm now focusing on marketing strategies and selling those ice cream bars. So maybe, just maybe, my dream isn't completely out of reach just yet. Well, you at least have a connection to your dream job. My childhood dream was being a ballerina dancing across the stage in a beautiful costume. This is very, very different from studying <laughs> politics and sociology. So Deborah, you now are the founder of your own company. Was that what you've always dreamed of doing ever since you were a child? When I was a little kid, I loved fixing things. I loved changing things. I loved tweaking and making things better. That was one of the things I loved doing more than anything else and finding different perspectives. So I decided early on that I wanted to become king. 
Unfortunately, nobody wanted me to be king. So uh, <laughs> I realized that I could still take problem solving skills and bringing together different kinds of people in a way to bring about change that wouldn't be so adversarial or wouldn't be so dictatorial, if you will. I had an aunt who used to call me the mechanic. I'd be able to fix and tweak all sorts of different things. When I was in college, people were always coming to me for um, advice on, oh, I just broke up with my boyfriend. What am I supposed to do? Or, you know, what am I supposed to do for a job when I could grow up type of thing? So I love solving problems. And most importantly, I loved bringing together different groups of people and in ways that other people wouldn't ordinarily do to bring about more fun, more substance, more energy, more productivity. I mean, whatever it was that needed to be fixed, I like coming in and doing it with a different perspective. And so that's kind of been my dream and it's taken lots of different shapes and sizes and roles over the years. But I think my underlying passions have always been, this is a really cool system, but we can make it better. So let's make it better. And that's my approach toward life. So Deborah, if I need any relationship advice, or if I need any fixing up of like parties, I would go to you. Is that correct? Oh, sure. You, I mean, whether it's throwing parties, whether it's turning around multi-billion dollar companies, whether it's <laughs> in being involved in education reform from a systemic perspective, both on the fiscal accountability side, but most importantly, the academic excellence side, all of these ideas of getting different kinds of people together in fixing things and making things better and changing things and bringing about a greater level of contentment or a greater level of achievement or a greater level of fun. All of those things can be done in, in solving problems. And for me, it's fun. I love solving problems. That's what I enjoy doing almost more than anything else. We mentioned earlier that you studied economics and art history at Yale. How did these two fields of study inform your undergraduate experience? It was a choice to study the two different areas because I'm very right brain on the one hand, and I'm also very left brain on the other hand. And when I look at issues from the right brain, elements of the left brain come in and vice versa. And I think that's one of the important elements of problem solving. And so my art history colleagues and department people thought I was a little on the peculiar side because <laughs> why are you doing that dirty money stuff? And then on the other hand, the economics people kind of thought, oh, she must be really artsy fartsy. Um, but, you know, there, there were ways of combining the two. And so for my economic senior essay, I did an economic impact study of the not-for-profit arts on the city of New Haven, Connecticut. And I did it in conjunction Junction with the Arts Council of Greater New Haven. On the flip side, for my art history major, I did the commercialization of a commercial artist, and this was a costume designer and artist from the early 1920s who had created these magical, absolutely magical creations for the theater and, and costume design and so on. And, and it, was, it was wonderful. And so the idea was to bring in lots of different perspectives on the challenge or the thesis at hand, but I think it ended up with a much richer understanding both of the art historical implications of what was going on, as well as the economic implications of what was happening you know, in, in, in the two different sides. And I think that's kind of how I approach a lot of life. But my father was really concerned and I did the art history because I loved it and I did the economics because he was afraid I'd never get a job. That was part and parcel of my, my rationale, although I think that there was a fundamental reason in having both sides because it made me a much more balanced person, or at least people tell me that I'm more balanced in that regard.
As two fellow double major students, we know how busy our schedules can get when we are juggling two majors on one hand and then extracurriculars outside of class on the other hand. So that being said, what were some of your favorite things to do outside of class? Um, just being be be with, with, with people, being with friends, being with people and having these amazing conversations with the Olympic diver downstairs, the, the, the two guys who one of them actually became a rocket scientist and the other one who actually became a brain surgeon and they were roommates. This is real. These are extraordinary people who will remain special to you in your life forever and ever and ever. Yes, it's great to do interesting economic multipliers on cities and systems and so on. And it's interesting to figure out aspects of fine Renaissance art history. Okay, that's great. But at the end of the day, the Yale experience is really about the interaction with and among all these marvelous people with whom you will never have an opportunity to interact unless you had this very special experience. And I know that we're all very fortunate to have had that experience and you need to take advantage of it. Now, that being said, I uh, slept four hours a night because I wanted to get as much out of Yale as I could. Saturdays, I slept for 10 hours and I co-chaired the SAC committee and I started up a bunch of clubs and was involved in the senior council and tried to experience as much as I possibly could. In retrospect, I think that I probably did a tenth of what I should have done or what I wished I could have done because there's there's always so much at Yale that you could be exploring. There's always so many additional conversations in the dining hall that you could be having with somebody. There are always so many more courses that you could be taking that you'd never have the chance to take with some phenomenal human beings. That's the Yale experience. But I think you want to walk away thinking, I didn't get enough, as opposed to saying, oh, I've been sated. You're never going to get sated when you go to Yale. You're never going to, it's never going to happen. <laughs> that is so, so true. <laughs> Couldn't have said it better myself. So how did your experiences at Yale, whether that be starting up the various clubs that you were talking about, or having conversations with your rocket scientist neighbor, or studying two majors that are inherently rather different from one another, but also overlapping in so many different ways, translate over to the real world. You know, one of the most important things for, for everybody, for all of us, and especially as we look at what's going on with the political environment in the United States and, and global relationships and the way countries are interacting. And, you know, Julia, look, you're a poli-sci major and you're studying all of these earnesting conflicts. How do we interact with each other? How do we understand one another? What questions have we asked of one another? Do we really know the person across the hall from us? Or do we really know our roommates? Do we really know what's making these people tick? Yale has gotten to be more and more of a bubble. And in order to succeed, in order to have an impact, um, both on the things you want to do as well as your community, however you define what your community is, it could be your block, it could be your country, it could be whatever community means to you, it could be your family, that you're really listening uh, without judgment. And there are so many people that say they're listening without judgment when in fact, you just express something and they say, well, no, that's not right. You can't possibly think that. Your opinion is wrong. And I hear that all the time and it's frightening. This concept of diversity is scary in a lot of ways because so many people think diversity is all about shape, color, size, sexual orientation and so on. But diversity is also about diversity of ideas and experiences. And I, I really would encourage all of you students, especially you are our future, you are gonna be our future leaders, whether you're in the public sector, you're in the private sector, you're in the um, not-for-profit sector, you're gonna be the future leaders. And you need to be able to work with lots of different kinds of people and recognize that other perspectives are 
more of value. And quite frankly, they might even be better than what you have to say, or elements of what other people are saying can be incorporated into your own idea and your idea gets made better. Whether you're a bioengineer, whether you're doing art conservation, whether you're leading an anti-poverty group or you're doing international diplomatic relations, there's an awful lot you can learn by listening to people, observing and asking questions. But coming from a, a sense of genuinely wanting to understand and integrate that new knowledge and appreciate it and, and valuing it because it is valuable. It might not be your particular experience, but there is a value to it. And, and I think that we have gotten to a point, especially in this society in which we devalue other people's opinions. And that goes for everybody. We, we all need to make a little bit more of an effort. And our interaction here today as you mentioned, you love interactions and so do I. I know I can say I've learned so, so much through listening to you and I've been greatly inspired by all of your work. Deborah, before we say our goodbyes in the last five minutes that we have, the final question Wen Long and I have for you today is what is one piece of advice you would give to the Yaleys currently enrolled at the university and who are currently listening in on this interview? Well, it's going to be a two-pronged approach, which, and I tend to do everything <laughs> in, in, in twos. So I guess on the academic side, let's say you're a molecular biologist or you're a bioengineer or you're a, you know, the physics geek. And I say that with, lo with love and admiration. <laughs> Go take a course and indulge yourself and immerse yourself into a course on Beethoven because the architecture and the structure of the musical compositions and the sheer enjoyment and the pleasure that you will get out of the music will not only be good for your soul, but it will also help inform the way you approach molecular biology. And I know that you think I'm crazy, but I'm not. You know, it really has an impact in thinking about things much more broadly. And then on the flip side, you know, if you're a Renaissance poetry major, you know, go sit down with that physics geek because you're going to be amazed to find out that that physics geek has scaled the Himalayas and learned Portuguese last week and has done some absolutely amazing things because our tendency is to put people in boxes. And so don't put people in boxes because all of that, again, can help you even in your direct academic mode or tradition of whatever your, your, your pursuits are. And then with regard to just general interactions and especially on the political side, the impact of the political machinations and this mass polarization has horrible ramifications on all of us. And, and it's our responsibility to do something different, to change uh, the direction of what's happening in this country. And you need to, we need to start, you know, each and every one of us needs to start um, um, ourselves. And so I would really encourage you to find somebody whose political philosophy is diametrically opposed to your own and really get to understand that person. Why does this person believe what he or she believes? What about his or her experiences suggests that maybe this is a legitimate response to a particular problem or a particular um, lifestyle or a particular philosophical or, or a political approach? And I say that because we had done a major study at the, you know, with the chisel. On the public policy side, we did a nationwide survey of thousands of Americans with the demographic segmentation representing the 2016 census. And what we found across the board, left, right, and center, that 75% of the time people held the same primary values or the same primary goals for what is your American dream? 
And so there is so much commonality that we have, but we end up spending so much time focused on the minor differences, which really don't matter. Let's focus on what are our core values? What is it we're really trying to accomplish? Because we all do have a lot in common. And it sounds terribly, terribly cliche, but it's true. At the end of the day, we do share a common set of human values. And if we can focus on the commonality before we start badgering one another for the differences, we'll get the successes on the commonality side, and then we can grow further and further to developing working relationships that are productive, that build things in a positive way, as opposed to this very destructive approach that we're taking. So let's start with what do we have in common as opposed to what our differences are. And you know, problem solving becomes a lot easier that way. And don't forget and don't hesitate to reach out to alums. We want to talk with you. We want to hear your stories. We want to help you. We want to encourage you. And we will on occasion throw up some red flags. As Yale students ourselves, Julie and I will be sure to keep those words in mind for the rest of the time we have here at Yale and also definitely beyond. Deborah, thank you so, so much for inviting us into your virtual home and telling us a little bit about your story. Well, thank you so much. All the best to you both. And to our listeners, in a typical year, we would say thank you for coming out to the Rose Alumni House. But for now, we'll say thank you for staying home and joining us today on our first official episode of Homestay, the podcast for and by Yaleys from all walks of life and all over the world. And we look forward to having you join us on our next. Next.